up, everybody? Welcome yep. to a new episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. And I am Brad. That is our co-host, Brad. Brad, how you been doing, man? I've been doing good. And I know that you've been especially excited about this episode. So I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm very happy that we can finally get this one out. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been uh, two weeks ready to do this episode. Yep. <laughs> last last episode we did, uh, um, did I talk about this on the last episode we did? Uh, we didn't talk about it during the episode, no. Yeah, so anyway, we started the episode, and then, um, you know, Brad was like, all right, which one you want to do? I'm like, all right, uh, I'll start off with, you know, talking about the synopsis for Roger Rabbit. He's like, oh, okay. No, seriously, which one you want to do, Fourth of July or uh, Sleepwalk with Me? I said, those... We're not watching those for this week. He says, yeah, we are. And, uh, you know, I goofed and I realized I watched the two film, the two wrong films. Uh, so I was two weeks prepared for this one. Yeah, which means that uh, you went back and watched them a whole other time. So you have even more notes for both of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, man, we got a, we got an interesting one today. We got um we got two films that were pretty... Um, groundbreaking in their uh in their animation mixed with live action um feel we got who framed roger rabbit versus uh cool world and you know what i almost thought putting up against roger rabbit i almost thought space jam would have been the better one to put up against that one but i felt like cool world is a nice cool world is a better comparison to roger rabbit than than space jam and we'll, we'll get into it later but yeah man i mean these films were uh, both groundbreaking in their own way one a bit more adult than the other one, but um, yeah. I uh, you got anything else to say about these before we hop in? Uh, no. I think we should just hop in on this one because we definitely have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. So we're gonna start off with uh, Robert Zemeckis' nineteen eighty eight film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, starring Bob Hoskins, uh, Christopher Lloyd. You know. Charles Fletcher, Stubby K, Joanna Cassidy. So this film right here is um about a uh you know setting an alternate um 1947 Hollywood where humans and cartoon characters coexist. There's such a thing called Toontown that exists on the fringe of uh you know uh of Hollywood. And um, you know, Eddie, played by Bob Hoskins, is a private investigator. Uh, who doesn't really like cartoons because of a tragic accident that happened to his brother. Um, and basically, he's tasked with um, trying to exonerate uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, a, car- a cartoon superstar that's uh, framed for murder. And, um, you know, there's also the uh, the question of uh, Roger Rabbit's, um, you know, girlfriend, Jessica. Uh, it's Jessica Rabbit, right? Yeah, Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit and her involvement with any with all of this. And then there's a uh, Christopher Lloyd who plays a uh, you know a villain called Judge Doom, and you know all the while it's just you know Eddie and uh, Roger Rabbit trying to figure out what happened, uh, get to the bottom of um, you know who's the culprit, who really did the murder of uh, I believe it was like the head of Acme. Uh, yes, it was Marvin Acme, the head of the Acme Studios which creates all the different gadgets and gizmos that cartoon characters use. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. So that pretty much is the bare bones plot of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
Now, dude, it's been years since I've seen this movie, and I've only seen it in like um, spurts as a mm. kid. It, it was a film I always knew existed because it would always come on HBO or Cinemax or whatever, but I never really watched the whole thing straight through until like um, you know a few days ago when we decided we were going to do this. And with that in mind, what what was your initial thought of this? My initial thought was that I remembered Bob Hoskins as a detective. I remembered Roger Rabbit as being over the top. But uh, going into it like with fresh new eyes, I got in, in the beginning. I I didn't really know what the like in the beginning. The the intro cartoon really annoyed me because I'm mm. like, oh gosh, it's the whole movie like this with him and the baby. And like he's trying to stop the baby from getting hurt and hurting himself in the process. And then there's the point where, you know, the director yells, all right, cut. And then the baby goes from Google Gaga to like, hey, where's my stogie? Like, yeah. you know, and then, and then that's when I started busting out laughing like, OK, all right. Now, now this movie might turn me around. Yeah, I yeah. love how it begins as kind of a Looney Tunes-esque cartoon that just continually plays off like on the trope of, you know, cartoons are always in these dangerous situations and everything like that. And these painful Mm -hmm. things just keep happening to Roger Rabbit, the main character of the cartoon within the movie, who is an actor as a cartoon within the cartoon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I like how a lot of the film is meta. And um, when Bob Hoskins shows up, you know, Bob Hoskins just has that likable personality. Like when we were watching Super Mario Brothers, even though his Mario wasn't all the way accurate, he's still made for a likable Mario. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, like, uh, I I like him in this movie. You automatically like Eddie. And even though he hates cartoons, it's he's the guy that you love to hate, kind of. And um, you, you, you like the kind of dynamic that him and Roger Rabbit have throughout the film. Because I got to admit, a lot of the, uh, you know, I don't know how to describe it. A lot of, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, wisecracks that Roger Rabbit goes. I'm like, dude, if I was Eddie, I wouldn't stand like three minutes of this guy. <laughs> I, I tell the police, look, he's he's here. Just arrest him. I don't want anything to do with this guy, like within three minutes of meeting him. But I like, how, you know, as the film goes on, you kind of get used to him. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is one of those things where he is a cartoon. So he's supposed to be very childish. He's supposed to be very loud and obnoxious, you know, and he doesn't use logic when it comes to situations because he's like, well, I'm a tune. I'm supposed to make people laugh. If I can't make people laugh, what's the point of being a tune? And along this, he just continually makes, you know, Eddie's life the worst possible scenario as he's going through it. I love the entire time that they're handcuffed together for that bit where Roger Rabbit literally handcuffs himself to Eddie to go, look, now you definitely have to help me. And he has to find ways to hide Roger Rabbit from the, yeah, yeah, yeah. who was it? The weasels that come through yeah. his house, like looking for him and everything. And he's washing his laundry in the sink and he's just holding Roger Rabbit under the water in order to hide mm-hmm. him. And, I love the later bit when he's like trying to get the handcuffs off and Roger just kind of takes it off real quick. He's like, hold on, let me hold the table for you. So it's steadier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. And he just looks up and then right immediately like swings back around, puts the handcuff back on. And he's like, you could have done that the entire time. 
Only when it's funny. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, I like everything here. I like the weasels. <laughs> the backstory really makes me laugh how, you know, Eddie doesn't like cartoons because uh, a piano fell on his brother. Yeah. The most cartoonish like death possible. Right. That's just hilarious to me. Like, I think that's a great, like, backstory for his character. And, um... <laughs> Like I like the I like the cameos in this in this film too. Like the best one to me, um, I like the appearance of Betty Boop, but I like how Daffy is it Daffy Duck and um uh, Donald Duck who are playing like dueling pianos. Yes. Now that was funny. That had me laughing. Like I like how I, I wonder how they kind of swung that because Looney Tunes is Warner Brothers and you know Donald Duck is obviously Disney. But so there were a lot of like behind the scenes kind of contracts when it came to like how much screen time the characters would have between the Disney and the Warner Brothers characters in order to get them both in these films. So one of them, especially that's very well known is Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse Mm -hmm. have to have the exact same amount of screen time, no matter what. Like that was a part of the contract to allow, you know, Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes in this movie and to have Mickey Mouse in the movie with them and everything like that was they get the same amount of screen time. You know, Warner Brothers key character gets the same amount of time as the, the Disney key character. And it, one of the funny things is in order to be like, well, he doesn't have any speaking roles, but technically Mickey Mouse is in the movie for one second longer than Bugs Bunny because he comes into frame just before Bugs Bunny does in the falling scene. Mm -hmm. So it was that one little snide thing of, well, Mickey Mouse is in the movie actually one second longer than Bugs Bunny. (laughs) What did the lawsuit happen over that or, or no, no lawsuits or anything like that happened. It was, uh, to my knowledge, nothing happened with that. I know that there were some legal issues with some of the characters and their portrayals in the movie, but mm-hmm. none of it was around Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. I think most of it uh, actually had to do with the characters created for the movie by the original author of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Uh, I really like... Um what was I going to say? Uh, I really like how Daffy and Donald keep throwing shots at each other. Like Daffy's like, you know, you're despicable. And Donald, I don't know how to do a Donald dunk, but he's like, you know, you're, you're not talking to me. And then Donald pulls out the bomb and they just, they just like going at each other. How tunes would go like, like, like uh, how tunes would go at each other. I thought that was a pretty fun moment. Oh yeah. It's definitely when it comes to the moments with the tunes, it's one of the more memorable scenes that people like, remember from this movie is oh yeah the dueling pianos between donald duck and daffy duck because Mm -hmm. it it is very well animated it's done really good between the two characters where you get to see their personalities kind of clashing and everything i love how Mm -hmm. you know donald duck is kind of just mocking daffy daffy's like well i couldn't even understand this guy how does anybody work with him you know meanwhile he has that lisp himself as he's talking and saying this. So it's All that right. little like side uh, hits against each other and everything like that. That's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how they would interact if these two characters were to come together. 
And Mm -hmm. the fact that they even got like original voice actors that were voicing these characters at the time in this movie for, I want to say all of the characters on Warner brothers and Disney sides, all of them are the Mm -hmm. original voices or the very least the current voices of those characters at the time that they were making this movie. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that part. Huh? Yeah, I was um I was gonna say, man, I could see how this was groundbreaking for its time. Even watching this film today, it, it you can see, you know, how great the uh the animation blends in with the live action. Oh yeah. It, one of the things like behind the scenes that they even talk about is the animators had challenges with some of the scenes where they had to do things with like eye line and stuff where like Bob Hoskins eye line in scenes was off from where it should be. If he were to be like mm-hmm. holding Roger the way that he's holding things and everything like that. So they had to get creative with the animation and like stretching the characters and, you know, moving in them and contorting them in order to fit into the scenes to make everything seem natural such as the one that we talked about earlier with him, like holding him under the water and stuff. They there's so much cool behind the scenes of this movie on how they actually made everything work. So it looks like the cartoons are in real life and they are actually interacting with everything because there's scenes where like Roger Rabbit will touch something that's dusty and it'll actually leave marks where his fingers would have picked up the dust off of that item, and you see it in the entire frame still. Same mm-hmm. for, like, whenever he interacts with an item, like, when he bumps up against something. Uh, the scene where he's being... He's not being interrogated, but he's being brought into, like, the behind-the-bar kind of area, and he bumps into the light shade, and you can actually see the shading change on the characters and Roger in, like, the same frame and everything. Like, they had to go frame by frame and shading him based on the light source. And the amount of love and care that went to this movie is absolutely insane. There's probably, like, three times the length of this movie in special features that you can watch to just see how much attention to detail they took to make everything work. And it it paid off 100%. -hmm. Yeah, I definitely would agree. Uh, It definitely paid off. Um all right, let's get into the weeds here. So, you know, when they start going into Toontown, I got to say, when the sun started rising up and everything like that, I got to admit, I, I did some eye rolls. I'm like, oh, God, I, now I know why he never wants to come in here. Like, as a kid, you probably love seeing that. But as a grown man walking in, you're hearing singing every day. You probably be like, all right, just just shut up. Shut up. I'm just walking to work. It definitely does a good job of kind of portraying, oh, yeah, this is what a silly world would be like that was run by cartoons. The trees would be singing along with the sun. You would have all these characters off to the side just bouncing around, singing as you're driving by. And yeah, (laughs) they did a wonderful job with that. I absolutely love that, how the tunnel to it even where it's just like a dark tunnel and just gets pitch black. And then all of a sudden you have the curtains come up and they open as he's driving through in order to get to that Toontown. It, you mm-hmm. can tell that the animators had a lot of fun with this one. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like, uh, who, what's his name? Droopy. I like, how yes. he's like the, uh, I like how he's like the elevator guy. And then he's like, you're a flourisher. 
<laughs> going and, uh, up, sir. Right, right. The whole time he's just like the gravity is so horrible. So he's like, like Bob Hoskins is like, like, like his body's just like being thrown up and down. Mm. Uh, that's hilarious. Oh yeah. Um, it, even with those little things, like you would think that it, time would date those kind of effects and everything, but they still work. It, it, the movie right. looks absolutely gorgeous. You know, even better than some live action animated shows of today's standards. It still looks better than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say, so listen, Judge Doom, uh, this is a great villain, man. I got to say, this is a terrific villain here um, who um, uh, Christopher Lloyd played because, mm-hmm. you know, you literally see him like like, like burn cartoons alive in, uh, in waste. And, uh, and that, the that dip. Little, yeah, the dip. Like that scene where he has that shoe and you, the shoe is, is dropped into the dip. You know, it's that's kind of a I guess I can see that being a little traumatizing for some kids. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that scene. That scene as a kid was gruesome. And even watching it today, it's a little gruesome where it's like, oh, come on. It's it's just a cartoon shoe. Don't do it, man. <laughs> right, right. And then in the end, when it's revealed that, you know, he was the guy that uh killed um you know Eddie's brother. The whole the the red eyes and the squeaky voice. I'm like, man, this this character's terrifying. Oh yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love how they animated like cartoonish features onto Chris Lloyd. They didn't just make him into like a cartoon all of a sudden. They kept it right. Chris Lloyd as Judge Doom, but with animated features like his eyes and his mouth. And I think his hair is animated, too, if I recall correctly. Uh, I don't remember his hair being. Uh, I, th- I think it was. I don't think so. OK, but yeah, it's insane. Just, you know, how much they put into that and everything. And yeah, he comes off as a terrifying villain. Every time he shows up, it's kind of this very like, it, you know, he controls the room kind of thing where he walks in and everybody falls silent. Even his introduction when he first walks into the crime scene and Eddie's like going to pick up the buzzer that uh, Acme had left behind, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, it looks like somebody's trying to steal evidence from the scene of a crime. No, 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 he wasn't doing that. He was just going to pick that up for me to hand to me. And it's, oh, I absolutely love just how, chilling christopher lloyd does this interpretation he does a great creepy mm-hmm. villain he he actually does like imagine uh i don't know which came first this or uh back to the future but imagine seeing him as doc in you know such a uh you know lovable role and then seeing him as this you go dang that was a night that was a quick switch yeah i want to say that back to the future was before this uh it was it was it was a uh, 1985 this is 1988 so yeah. yeah, that's definitely well. You know that shows range. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It he definitely pulled that off. Same with Bob Hoskin as Eddie. Absolutely pulled it off. Even Stubby K, the little bit that he has as Acme, is he, he comes off as like that goofy guy that would be very pro tune in this world. Mm-hmm. Of course, his entire business relies on tunes, 
But at the same mm-hmm. time, he, he has that very goofy personality where he plays pranks and everything on Eddie with the disappearing ink and stuff, the buzzer. And I love how they even show like how dangerous his items really are with the hammer that pretty much extends out and everything that they accidentally set off. And it, it's mm-hmm. so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, all right. Well, I'm, uh, okay. So looking at this overall, man, I actually think it's a, it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, I, I enjoy it, but you know, I, um, I, it took me a while to kind of get on this wavelength because I, I was into this, like, uh, okay, is this a kid's movie? Like what's going on here? But like, as I got into it, you know, it, it showed a little bit more depth. Like I like Eddie as a character. Mm-hmm. I like, uh, Roger grew on me. You know, uh, Judge, uh, is it, was, was it Judge Doom? Judge Doom. Dr. Doom. Okay, yeah, I was thinking of Fantastic Four. You know, Judge <laughs> Doom is a great villain. Uh, this, is a, this is a very good movie, man. I, I still think it holds up some years later. Uh, I'd give this a solid four straight down the line. It, for me, this one is one of those movies that basically it does such a good job of blending the animated and live action that the fact that people still look at this movie today in like the animation field and go, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, a genius piece in that part alone. And when it comes to the plot, even I love the characters, the plot is fun, but there are different characters that you enjoy as a kid versus as an adult. Like as a kid, you're watching this and going, Oh, Roger rabbit is so funny. I love his character. But yeah, as an Mm -hmm. adult watching this, you're basically going, man, I feel bad for Eddie. He he has it rough. And then all of a sudden, Roger Rabbit just shows up and is like, no, no, you need to help me. You know, knowing everything that's happened. And it, it's I think that this movie has the perfect amount of layers to be a family feature that literally is for kids and adults. Like everybody in the family can walk away from this movie with something. It, it's it's a four point five to me. You know, it. Absolutely checks boxes for everything that needed to. And still to this day, it's one of the most impressive live action adaptations with animation. Mm hmm. Okay, okay. I understand what you're saying there. Um, all right, cool. All right. So now that we're moving on from that. That brings us to our second movie today, Cool World. So this one was directed by Ralph Bakshi and went through a lot of stuff with production that we'll get into in a minute. But the movie that did release follows the story of Frank Harris, who is taken into or transported to the world of Cool World, where cartoons run dominant and run side by side with the real world where cartoons known as doodles kind of control everything and he becomes a detective of sorts in this world meanwhile an ex-convict by the name of jack deebs creates another comic also known as cool world where a bunch of his own creations that exist within the comic become creations in the cool world world that does exist and following him getting out of prison, he ends up getting transported to the world where one of his doodles known as Hollywood 
becomes very interested in him under the prospect of wanting to become a real person, a.k.a. annoyed, which would mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to sleep with annoyed in order to become a real person themselves. So having this, she attempts to do this before managing to convince Jack to go through with it and becoming a real person, going to the real world and then trying to continue living as a real person by getting something known as the spike, which is a mythical (laughs) item that is supposed to be able to keep things as is between Toon and Noid. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is the bare bones of this movie. And you might be thinking that plot synopsis makes no sense. That's because this movie makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I this movie is something you just kind of just got to go with. And um, I got to admit, man, when I first started it, I was uh, uh, <laughs> after the initial car crash, I was like, I was like, OK, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Like, like, what the hell's going on here? But I, 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 what the, once things started to settle in and, um, you know, uh, Gabriel uh, Barnes' character, um, uh, man, who was the cartoonist? Uh, Jack. Uh, Jack D started to show up. Then I was on the film's wavelength. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm with this film now. I I, I know what's going on now. Um, yeah. yeah, man, this is a, uh, <laughs> this is a fun movie, man. <laughs> this, this this movie is fun. Uh it's raunchy, it's dirty, it's silly. And uh I just I just like what once you get on this wavelength, it's 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 easy to kind of go with it. Yeah, it basically whenever the movie goes, okay, stop. This is what this does. You just kind of go, Yeah, okay, sure. I, I no more explanation needed, I guess. <laughs> when when a doodle, you know, has sex with a noid that doodle then becomes annoyed. Yeah, okay, sure. Why not? You're, you're not going to explain any further than that, so I'm not going to try and dig any further into that. <laughs> right. No, like that uh, Stan Lee uh, uh, meme. Enough said. Yeah, enough said. <laughs> oh, man, I, li- I like this movie, man. I, I think it's pretty funny. Um, I got to say, the-, the main plot of this, like the main stakes around this film, <laughs> is... Uh, Brad Pitt's character preventing Holly from having sex with Annoyed. I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Which he and, fails uh, in the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie. And then the rest of this movie is Hollywood, which I, I do love the pun of that name, yeah, uh, yeah. is in the real world trying to find this spike. And then all of a sudden, you know, Frank has the ability to go back to the real world but stays in the toon world but for this he goes back to the real world where he finds jack and they team up to stop holly from getting to the spike because who knows what'll happen Mm -hmm. and that this movie it just goes It, it doesn't take time to explain anything and it just keeps running with the ball and everybody's kind of like, dude, dude, you're, you're running off the course. You're, you're not in the right to, to you're not even in the right state anymore. Where are you going? Stop running. <laughs> I, you know what I like though? I, well, this is what something I kind of didn't like about the film. I like how, you know, Jack has an interesting backstory. You know, he just got released from prison 
mm-hmm. for um uh did they did they say he murdered his wife's uh lover or something yeah it's or- kind of alluded when he goes to like the comic book store and uh-huh. somebody's like whoa man you should make a comic book about that guy you killed for sleeping with your wife and that's like the right. only time that it's referenced that i can recall I would expect it. To, I see. I would have expected the film to kind of delve into that at some point. Like at some point, we follow Jackson where he has like a heart to heart with Holly or um, the young lady that lives across the street. Like you know, everyone says I did that, but what really happened was this. Like, but the film just never touches on that again. It no. goes like, okay, this is something that happened. All right, now we're gonna walk away from that here. We're gonna leave that there. But, but wait, I want to know a little more about, no, no, we're going to leave that there and just move on to Jack and uh, these weird dreams he's having. Yeah. Yeah. Jack overall, his character is just so underutilized in every way, because as soon as he starts like getting thrown into Toon World, he like notices some of his doodles that he made. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, is it so-and-so and that and this? And then right. they attack him, and he gets scared and stuff. And right. then he comes back again, and he's just like, what is this? Pl-? And that's when he meets, or Holly brings him to, like, the club. And Frank is like, look, man, whatever you do, don't have sex with that doodle. And he's like, He's okay. a passive character. Right. He's a passive character. And, and that, that's that's a problem because he doesn't really actively do anything until the final act. Uh, well, I'm not going to say where it's too late, but, you know, it's it's like the final act. So he has to make a heroic deed. Yeah. A lot of things with his character is very passive. Yeah. Um, he just you know, kind just, of exists there and everything yeah. happens around him. Because I even love how when Holly like brings him up to the bedroom and stuff and he's like, no, I can't. Well, I mean, come on, though. Okay, fine. Like it, <laughs> it takes no convincing for him to right. break the one rule that he's been told about this world. Right. Yeah, he just like you know he he had one job to do. Mm-hmm. No, he had one job to not do, and he ended up doing that job. Right. Um. It, which is which is hilarious. But I like how again, like you said, I they it's okay to use him as the audience surrogate. But it's almost to a diminishing effect where he just has no active things that he does. He has no personality is what it is. He's such a blank slate because he's supposed to be the, oh, well, he's the everyman that got pulled into this world. And even the idea that he made the comic Cool World and his characters Mm -hmm. all exist there. But the world existed before he made Cool. I love how Frank kind of during their discussion is like, look, you might have made Cool World, but I was here before Cool World, so you didn't make Cool World, which means that you're nothing. And it's like, okay, you just made this so much more confusing with that line. I I was lost before, but now I feel like I'm not even looking at a map of the right planet that we're on. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, um, I was going to say, see, Gabriel Byrne is a, is a likable person to watch on screen. But it's like the, the, the that's not enough for a character like this. Like mm-hmm. at least Brad Pitt, and you know this is before Brad Pitt became you know seven Brad Pitt, Fight Club Brad Pitt. You know he's likable as well as Frank, but Frank is an active character, right? You know Frank is an active like a uh, <laughs> tomb police detective. No one say hey you, you know doodles don't have sex with noids. He says that to his um his his girlfriend uh. 
uh, who, who was she? Isabel? Uh, uh, Lynette? Yeah, his girlfriend, you know, other toon girl. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I think her name was Lynette. So, like, he says to Lynette, like, listen, we just we just can't we can't be intimate, right? It just can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an active character. Holly is an active villain. You know, yeah, so I, I, I would have liked to see more from Jack as well. Um, so I do uh <laughs> the whole the whole sex scene itself is just is just ridiculous when it happens. Like like I said, oh, yeah. this movie's definitely not for kids, but it's just like the way it's filmed is just ridiculous. Cause you're just you're just mainly seeing it from Holly's perspective. And then, you know, the tunes are like trying to climb the wall or, or make a whole little ladder to see oh. it. And then they all fall down like, was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. <laughs> it was unexpected or something like that. Or it wasn't what I thought it would be. Right. One one guy said, I've seen better. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, this movie definitely is very raunchy. Like it, the animation style is like very adult and grotesque looking by style. You know, uh, it has that like weird body proportions for everything like even to the point that when you have like a normal looking cartoon character on screen they stick out against everything else like the bunny rabbit that is Mm -hmm. like oh yeah okay so it's a bunny rabbit but it looks you know so weird put up against this like ugly stylized approach to all these other characters that are in the movie and then mm-hmm. you have some characters like Hollywood, which is supposed to be like a, a super attractive, you know, woman it's standing next to these grotesque baby, giant baby looking right. creatures. Yeah, it's it's a wild, it's a wild contrasting film. Uh, no, it's, I'd say it's polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, Ralph Bakshi, uh, the director, has kind of an interesting history. He um he directed the animated version of Lord of the Rings, and then he directed uh well before that he directed Fritz the Cat, which was a very like a uh, groundbreaking adult animated black comedy. Yes. Um and a few others too, you know, Coonskin, Heavy Traffic, uh, Fire and Ice. He's a very interesting polarizing director of animation. So this right here was supposed to be like his big comeback. This film, right? Which his initial script idea, I. One of the things that is like behind the scenes of this movie that's so interesting is the fact that when he pitched this movie to Paramount, he pitched it that it was about a guy that created a comic book world and ended up being transported to it where he basically had created his perfect like idea of a female in this comic. And when Mm -hmm. he got transported to the world, he ended up finding her, you know, having sex with her. And then she ended up having a child that was half human, half cartoon, who then hated the fact that her father just left after, you know, being in the world to have sex with her mom left. So she, you know, goes to the real world to track him down to get revenge. That was his initial concept for this movie. And he even wrote a script for that. But unknown to him, Paramount also hired two other people to write a script. (laughs) And those two people were Michael Grays and Mark Victor, Uh which that is the script that ended up being used. So I love that, like, Ralph Bakshi has not been 
silent on this movie at all, like in interviews and everything he even said, like, look, I had no idea what was going on because he didn't even see the full script for the movie as he was directing it. So he didn't Mm. know everything that was even going on with it. The animation team was apparently just told, do whatever you want because they hadn't even seen the full script of the movie. So a lot of the like scenes of just random cartoon characters in the background and stuff, those were just done by animators that have no idea what the movie was even going to be about. They were just told, I don't know, just, you know, draw some cats drinking. Okay, is there any more cut? No, just some cats drinking. Okay, I'll draw some cats drinking then. There's a, there's a lot going on in the background that I'm just like, Okay, that's just random. Yeah. Like, is this like part of the world here or what what what's going on? Well, even then like, you, you know, have like the almost like the ads on television kind of animations that just pop in the foreground as well that are just on top of everything, like floating heads that just, you know, have lips smacking and then they just disappear. And it's like, what what was that? And then you'll have like a bunch of, you know, cavemen running across the screen, you know, wailing sticks. And it's just like, OK, but why? Yeah. What was that for? Yeah. it's Yeah, you're right. Because it's kind of like the movie has its own ads, but it's like, what's the context? Right. Yeah. You know, like, what am I looking at? Like, yeah. You know, it, like, <laughs> it makes no sense. There's it, the movie itself has some interesting concepts with it. But the problem is like the direction And by no means is it Ralph's fault because he was not even given the full script to the movie while he was directing it because of just everything between him, like fighting Paramount going, look, this isn't the movie I want to make. And then going, oh, don't worry. It's it's the movie you want to make. It's you know, we're working on it. It's it's fine. You'll do fine. One thing Mm -hmm. I did like about this movie that I wish kind of had a little bit more of a presence though was the set design for when the characters were in cool world and Mm. it wasn't like the animated backgrounds it was like those stylized standees of just a very like animated sort like frank would be walking around and you'd see like a giant like standee of a like night post Mm -hmm. right right right, stuff And I, I like yeah. that idea. That that was an interesting idea to have it and everything. Like the scene where he pulls up in his car and it like turns from a cartoon car to his actual car. It pans, zooms in. He gets out and then you see like he's in like an actual set and everything with all these different standee props that are very like yeah. cartoon stylized. I'd say in contrast to Roger Rabbit, where a lot of the tunes are in the real world. Mm-hmm. This film has a lot of like uh, this film has humans in the toon world and it, it doesn't work as slickly here as it works in Roger Rabbit, unfortunately, you know, no, like, it's in that regard. It's basically it's not even being like, oh, it's apples to oranges. It, it's, you know, mm-hmm. apples to, you know, a rotten apple that fell on the like, floor and you forgot about it and it was behind the fridge. And now you're moving. And you had to move the fridge to clean behind you. And you're like, Ooh, <laughs> how long has that apple been back there? I I wouldn't be that grotesque, but I, I, I would say it's <laughs> I would say it's apples compared to an apple. You drop the apple into the dirt. You then you can wipe it off and wipe the dirt off. But some of the dirt has kind of got in the middle of the apple. And you're like, well, I don't want to just cut around the apple and try to eat it. I mean, you know, yeah, I just. It- 
Oh, well. And then you yeah. throw away the apple. <laughs> right. You know, I, it, it, it's not that rotten of an apple, okay? <laughs> There's some good parts of the apple there. You're just too, you're too lazy to cut off to get to the good parts. It's like you dropped an apple behind the fridge, and a couple years later, you went to go get it, and you're just like, wow, when did I drop a grape back here? <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, uh, got a guy. Got a guy here. I, I got to ask you, who, who do you think is finer? Uh, Holly or uh, Jessica? Uh, when it comes to them, Holly is definitely given the more like realistic proportions as Absolutely. something like Jessica Rabbit. I understand is supposed to be like the eye candy of that world and everything, but she's given right. such it out there proportions that right, that's not it, realistic. Right, it's so cartoonish, but it's exactly the vibe that they're going for with her, so it works for that character but yeah when it comes to the two characters holly is better like more realistic eye candy for sure yeah yeah i i i think so as well and it sucks because like i said like you said she's the only well put together cartoon and well isabel i mean why do i keep saying isabel what's her name um i I know you're talking you're talking about uh frank's love interest right lynette so Lynette and um, Holly are the only ones that look normal in this world mm-hmm. compared to every to the to, in the in the doodle world compared to everyone else. Right. Like everyone else just looks weird. Um, yeah, that's like I like <laughs> I'll say one thing. I like when Jack first showed up. There was that one cartoon that was trying to kiss him. No, oh, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And he just, right. she just like crawls up his shirts and it just kisses him. And then like, I was like, that kind of made me laugh. Cause you got like this, just like like ferociously ugly cartoon trying to kiss. <laughs> the, the moment he touches down, yeah, which I believe is one of his characters that he drew too, because he recognized them. I thought they all were. Uh, no, supposedly they're not all his cartoon characters because some of them existed prior to him creating his comic and everything. Like the professor oh. that originally brings Frank into the world isn't a part of his cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with the spider detective that's Frank's partner, which it, it's a whole other weird thing uh, that we didn't even talk about with his spider partner. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that it, that, that some of those weren't his creations. I guess I must have missed that line of dialogue. Yeah, they briefly talk about how, you know, like I said, they kind of just go, look, you didn't create Cool World. You did create Cool World, but it existed before you created it, so you didn't create it. But these are your tunes, or these are your doodles. And it's like, I, what, what is this supposed to mean for anything? <laughs> Thanks, you just made this whole more confusing. Yeah, that makes it, that makes it way more confusing. Uh... Can we talk about the neighbors across the street? I feel like that whole side plot was weird. Yeah, especially when, you know, Holly first comes to the human world and they like, oh, just coming to check in on you and everything like that. Oh, it's so good to know there's nice neighbors here. It's like, okay, cool. And yeah, their purpose in this movie is, I don't know. (laughs) It's because he first comes home. And I don't know if it's the daughter or the mom that notices him coming home from prison, uh, coming to his house. But I'm like, okay, there's going to be something with this character later. But it's like, it's so awkward because it's like, what 
what's the real purpose of these people? Yeah. Like, is he going to fall in love with the mom or and then the daughters follow him, follow him around, which is kind of weird. Like, like I'm like, I would expect the mom and the daughter to, to try to hang out together to see what's going on with these cartoons showing up. But it's like, it's just odd. Like, and like, you know, Holly's half naked. Like, he drew me. Oh, yeah, this guy drew me. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm like, this is, this is just weird. Yeah, like most things in this movie, it just kind of happens and you go, yeah, okay, whatever. And it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. It's a mess. And I even say the thing in the end, when he kind of, when Jack kind of becomes like a, kind of like a, a, a Dollar General Superman and tries oh, to stop yeah. all the... Tries to uh, grab the uh, the spike and stop all the cartoons from like turning all the humans into tunes or doodles. It's just like it's like okay, this is just weird. Well, even before that, when she activates the spike and all of a sudden all the doodles start coming into the real world, they don't even interact with anything. They're just doing wacky, zany stuff over on top of pictures of you know a city. It's not like they're destroying windows and you're seeing them destroy anything like that. It's literally just cartoons killing each other that happens to have a city, like a real city in the background now. And everybody's freaking out and like, oh my God, it's it's terrible. It's like, is it though? Because they're not doing anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. What What's the threat here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I agree. I mean, what well, a threat is no one wants to be a cartoon, you know. Like uh, they they. I feel like the th- I, I I push back a little bit on you here. I feel like the threat is when they would turn into doodles, they would become more grotesque, which I think was kind of the point, right? Like, of like why it's a bad idea. So I think it was just trying to stop that from happening. Okay, at, still at the same time it. it we touched the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin did a thing. Okay, the MacGuffin's been fixed within five minutes. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see what an Anthony Doodle looks like. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that outcome for myself. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I most like. Yeah, I, I would want the MacGuffin to be taken care of. But yeah, it, but, it, yeah, it, it was just such a like a non-threat kind of scenario. Like even then, it's like okay, I get what you're saying. People got turned into doodles. But at the same time, it's like there was no consequence to that, except obviously at the end when the main characters get turned back into doodles, as well as Frank and uh, Jack get turned into doodles so they can live their happily ever after with Frank finally being able to be with his uh, doodle wife that he's had for ever. Mm hmm. Right. And then obviously Holly doesn't get what she wants in staying human. She gets turned back into a doodle. And then Jack's like, well, I'm a doodle now, too. So now we can be together. And she's like, I don't I don't care about you anymore because I, I only wanted you because you were real. Right, right. Even that was a bummer. Yeah. Like, like I was like, there's no I guess there's a happy ending with, you know, Frank being a doodle now, being with his woman. And I guess, you know, ends with some finally having sex. Right. Uh, you know, but I don't know, man. This movie was this movie was a mess. It was a it was a good mess to look at. Like, I'm glad I saw this movie, but it's just it a lot of it makes no sense. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And the, it, it's one of those movies that you literally can look at and be like, look, here's the original concept that was given by the director for this movie. He wrote a script for it and it was just completely sidestepped for this movie. And it's like it, on paper, this movie probably has the same like synopsis kind of interesting as his original one, but the execution of it was just so poor and it has so many weird side plots and characters that are never used or utilized in any meaningful way. Like even the, the crazy doctor that first brings Frank in, he shows up at the beginning of the movie as like, right. no, 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 he's, he's more of a science experiment than anything else. And then he disappears until like toward the end of the movie and you find out, Oh, he somehow did make it to the real world and he's just been hiding there this entire mm-hmm. time before he dies, like almost immediately. <laughs> Right, like that made no sense. Right. He never showed back up again. Right. His character showing up at the end made no sense. And the fact that, yeah, there's nothing about his character that needed to be in the movie in the first place, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, man. Um, Yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's a mess of a film, but you know you might call me crazy here, but I, I had a blast watching it. As much of a mess as it was, I, I give this a light three point five. Uh, I give this one a two point five. It's it's wow. a mess of a film. It has some good ideas. It has some interesting concepts, but overall, it's such a mess of a film that it, it almost has that like child film kind of feeling of like, oh man, if we have any scenes that are quiet in this people are going to lose interest. So they have to throw all this random junk at you constantly that takes you out of the movie to the point that it's like, you can't get involved into the movie because as soon as you start like going, okay, I'm starting to feel like Frank and what's going on. Why is there a cat just dancing around in the background? What the hell is that? Okay. Anyway, yeah, Frank, he has such a you know sad life being turned into this world of. T- Why is there a weird ghost face going across the screen? Why is it back again? What is this? Like every time your brain can start to like go, okay, I'm I'm seeping into this movie. Just something takes you out of it. I picture, I picture Ralph. Hey, this is for all my Atlanta fans out there. The TV show. I picture Ralph's experience making this movie similar to the guy who made uh, the blackest movie of all time, folks. A oh, goofy yeah. movie. <laughs> <It's>, oh, <laughs> everyone just coming in and out of the office. You know, just hey, come on, let's just add a sketch here and there. Yeah, get out. What, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, so it, it kind of goes without saying, folks. Roger Rabbit just wins this one. It's just, it's a clear win. Yeah. When it comes to the plot, it actually sticks the landing with everything that's going for. It doesn't create any weird intervals that are hard to explain. It's basically, there's cartoons and there's real people and they live in the same world. It, you don't need any more explanation than that. And uh-huh. it, Cool World continually just tries to bring in new rules and things to this world that don't make sense and contradict each other to the point that it, it just muddies the waters of what we're supposed to believe in this movie. 
They could have very easily been like, look, Cool World is a world that this guy created from a comic book that ended up becoming an actual world that these creations of his live in. Cool. Mm-hmm. Stick yeah. with that. No, they, they had to complicate it more somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, as you know, we always see Robert Zemeckis, you know, dropping something new every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, if he hasn't like burned too many bridges, I would like to see more from Ralph uh, Bakshi in the uh, in the in the new era of the 2020s. Yeah, I, I want to say that uh, he said that he wants to actually create the real kind of uh, what was it that the actual cool world that he originally scripted but i don't know if he'll ever actually get that chance to do it because he hasn't been active at mm-hmm. all recently has he uh, i don't think so i think he did a, he, they i think uh per his wiki page uh he did a short in 2015 but outside of that no oh, okay yeah uh but you know we'll see but uh heading over into after show here folks um you seen anything new lately, man? Uh, I have. I've the new, what is it called? My Adventures with Superman, the new Superman show from Adult Swim. Oh, yeah. Heard about that. How is that? It's actually really good. So when it comes to Superman, I'm not typically big into like his movies or his comics all the time. But this show like has a very good heart to it that makes the character interesting. And the animation style on it is absolutely beautiful as well. Like I love how it looks because it's basically taking from like the old style of like comic books, but animating it in a way that it's very fluid. It's very colorful. It, it looks absolutely amazing. I love it so much how it looks and the characters are all great. The way that they kind of introduce everything for this kind of Superman show is great with it being like Lois Lane already works for the Daily Planet. You have, you know, Clark and Jimmy coming into it as like new interns for it. It's it's a young Superman that really hasn't become Superman yet. He's knows about his powers and he knows how dangerous they can be. And he's afraid of his powers. And it's like, it's an interesting take on it. And I'm sure there's a comic book that's done the take that they're taking the story from, but it's not one that I've read before. So it's new to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was seeing, um, I was seeing like little banners of that on my streaming box. And I said, Oh, my adventures with Superman. That's new. Mm -hmm. Um, for what you, I mean, for what I'm hearing here, kind of a heartfelt kind of show, that doesn't sound Adult Swim-ish at all. So the Adult Swim part comes from the action, where it doesn't uh, like hold back on the action and everything. So it it definitely it where like a normal like kid show and everything, it'd be like, oh, the blood. It's not blood. It's oil. It was a robot the entire time. No, there's people in this that are getting hurt. So oh. that's where the adult swim portion comes in. It's not like grotesque, but it's it, definitely like the PG 13 where, you know, the people are getting scrapes and cuts and there is blood. Like some people are getting tortured and everything like that and everything. So there is, more of an adult theme to some of it, 
but mm-hmm. it's not going, oh, we had to take like the Deadpool route where they had to be swearing every five words or it's not taking the Suicide Squad approach where somebody has to be exploding and you're, there's guts everywhere every 15 minutes. It, it, yeah. it just allows it to not hold itself back, but to tell a good story and let the characters still be heartfelt and everything like that. Okay, I got you. I got you. Hey, um, I want to tell you, I uh, saw the newest Mission Impossible. Oh, did you? I did. I did. Uh, dude, uh, great action film, man. Uh, great action sequences. Uh, some terrific stunts on Tom Cruise's part. You know, he really, he always gives it his all. The only problem I got with this film, dude, is too damn long. And it's part it does one. Not, <laughs> Yeah, and it's part. It, see, I'm not gonna give nothing away, but where the film ends, it it doesn't need to be a part one. I, I like that. Of course, there needs to be a sequel, but it's like, yeah, but that's not really. You could have just called this Dead Reckoning and called the next one Dead Rising or or some shit. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't this this doesn't this doesn't come this doesn't come off as like a complete whole. It's like okay, here's the next adventure, done, done, done. You know, it's not really a part one type of ending. Really? You know, yeah, I, I, it's a good ending. Mm-hmm. It's a good ending, but I'm like, but it's not a cliffhanger ending of going, oh man, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah, it's not at all. It's like, okay, on to the next adventure. You know, it, it's like, okay, we don't need a part one at the end of that title. But that's <laughs> not even my biggest gripe. It's just, it's too long, dude. Is 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 darn near three hours of Tom Cruise? Yeah, I, I saw what, that. <laughs> That's more Tom Cruise than I can handle. Like, you know, like, I'm like, listen, listen, two hours and 20 minutes, I'll give you some leniency. Two hours and 40 minutes? You better have a very tight movie if you're crossing the two and a half hour mark. The action sequences are good, man, but the story does not need to be two hours and 40 something minutes. It just, it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, From what I heard, I never saw the first film. Uh, I I I see most of them except the first one. Uh, what's the one after the Philip Seymour Hoffman one? I think that was four. Uh, I I haven't seen four Fallout or the first film, but um, I heard that uh, there was a callback to the first film with a certain character that was brought back from the first film that uh that had that had a pretty good moment in the movie. Uh, it, it's overall a good movie. It's a solid okay. action movie. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, if you want to see it, I say go see it, but just be prepared for that runtime, man. Yeah. I mean, this week we have, I want to say it's this week, we have Barbie and Oppenheimer, or is that next week? That, uh, uh, that's the week after next. Oh, okay. So this upcoming week, it, it's, uh, it's, well, I guess this week just started. So yeah, it is next week. You're right. Okay. Because I knew that those two were coming up. I couldn't remember the exact dates on them, but I know that those two are coming up, and that's going to be a long day at the theater. <laughs> I think I might. Um, I think I got a screening for Oppenheimer, but uh, I think I got to go into theaters to see Barbie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was I about to say to you? Uh, yeah. So it's getting down to the wire. I'm, I'm kind of like of your mind of what you told me last time. I think Barbie's going to win out. Uh, I, I think it's. I don't think it's gonna be a bloodbath, but I think mm-hmm. if we're talking about tickets sold, I mean, kids don't care who made the atomic bomb, 
Right. They, you know, but you can't you can't underestimate the effect that dads have on a household. Dads would be like, no, no, we're seeing this long three hour movie first and then we'll see Barbie in the morning. See, I don't know. I feel like most fathers would be like, you're telling me that there's a movie that will shut my kids up for two and a half hours. Yeah, we'll go see Barbie. I'm going to go in a hot pink shirt and everything. I do not care. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think Barbie is that long. If it's that, no, it's it's just, it's near two hours. Oh, it's just two hours. Okay. Yeah, see what it mean? See what I mean? We're too, we're too used to these long ass films <laughs> that we expect everything to be two hours plus now. Movies right. are too long nowadays, man. Yeah. They need to cut this out. Uh, unneededly too long. You know, because the two movies yeah. that we watched here, these were with, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit and Cool World? I think they both fell in at about like an hour forty five minutes each. Easy, yeah. Easy. And it it's clean. It works. You know, uh, Cool right. World is a mess of a movie, but at least it doesn't overstay its welcome. Right. Absolutely. Um, but what I really wanted to tell you about, man, was um, dude, you ever watched the uh, BoJack Horseman on oh, Netflix? Of course, I have. Yeah. Have you seen the whole show? Yes. Oh, yeah, I, oh. I binged that one. Every time the new seasons came out, I went through it. Dude, I just got to the last season, man. Okay, so here's my story. I, I started it when it first came on Netflix, and I was like, ah, it's a pretty solid, silly show about a, you know, washed-up horse mm-hmm. that used to be on a popular sitcom. You know, uh, and after the first season, I kind of trailed off a bit and didn't really return back to it. And then uh, lately, you know, I... I I, I said something on Twitter and somebody's like, oh, dude, you got to watch BoJack Horseman. You got to finish it. Mm-hmm. So I went back over the past two weeks and I've been watching it. Man, this is literally one of the best shows of all time. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a while for me to kind of get on this wavelength in the first season because it you could tell the writers were trying to figure out what this show was. Like, OK, how do we how do we how do we map out BoJack's world beyond just being a West of celebrity? What are we trying to say with this show? And as the series goes on, you see how it satirizes Hollywood. You see how these characters are given more depth. Mm-hmm. Like, I really can't call this show a straight up comedy. This is just like, like, this is a terrific, like, dark dramedy. It yeah. just happens to be animated. Uh, it does have some, it's more of a comedy in season one. But mm-hmm. as the show progresses, it definitely goes more into drama and everything. Especially with, like, the last couple of episodes with everything that goes on there did you finish the series I, I, now no 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 i, I i'm not um I, I i'm in the last season now but i'm okay. not towards the end have you gotten to the underwater episode yeah that's such a great episode oh it was for having no dialogue the entire episode it's right. so good because everything that is the class that is one of the like perfect examples of show don't tell when it comes to writing and characters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I love it too. Like, and I, I, I love how um, when uh, when he when he drops the yeah, we're just talking about Bojack now. I like when he drops the uh, the uh, I forgot what the species was, but the baby with the uh, the parent. Yeah. Uh, the you, you you don't really listen to what you don't really hear a lot of dialogue of what the parent's saying, but he's like, okay, you want to eat with us. And Bojack's like, nah. He says, you want money? He says, nah. He's like, well, well, what do you want? And mm-hmm. Bojack's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's such a deep moment because, like, Bojack, he doesn't know what he wants, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like, and um, 
I think he's a terrific uh I won't say anti-hero, but I just think he's a terrific lead character because he's so complex. And like there are moments where you go, Oh God, I can't believe he was about to do that, or he was he did that. And you know, but it's like if you were on the outside looking in and you had just heard about these stories around a celebrity like Bojack, you're like, oh man, he seems like a douche and a and a horrible yeah. person. But Which, knowing a him, lot of the things he does, he is an asshole. Like, like don't right. get it mixed up. He is an absolute asshole a lot of the times. But he's somebody that's trying to do better. He's trying to be better. He doesn't want to be an asshole, which is what makes you like root for him. So when you see him do something that is the wrong move, you're just like, oh, come on, man. No. And you get so invested in mm-hmm. watching him try and improve and grow and everything that happens to him. And when you see the consequences of some of his actions come up against him, it's like, yeah, yeah, you deserve that because you were an asshole. But at the same time, I hate to hey. see you getting kicked down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and dude, oh, man. When they go into like the depth of his family, like oh, um, yeah. with his mom and father and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It gets really dark. Like uh, a lot of people love the episode where he tell where he's doing the eulogy, um, you know, and, and spoilers alerts for people who haven't seen the show by now. But a lot of people love the episode where he does the eulogy for his mom. Yeah. I thought it was a great episode, but I really like the one where we're in his mom's mind and she's traveling through time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of like shows her dementia. I was like, dog, this is like a this is like a horror episode, you know, like a psychological horror episode. You know which episode I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. I, I remember it very. Yeah. yeah. That was a terrific episode, man. That's that was probably my favorite one thus far. Uh, the underwater one was a great like a uh, like achievement the way it was made. Mm-hmm. And uh, free churro was pretty emotional. Uh, but I got to say the dementia episode really got me like that one really made me sad because I still hate his mom. But again, these people are who they are because of what's happened to them in their life. Right. They can't choose to change. They just don't change. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And even like the side characters and their mm-hmm. entire things, because you have Todd, who is his like bumbling roommate, uh, Todd is his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Todd is an idiot. Uh, you have <laughs> Diane, which I love her entire story of like being this super pro- progressive person that mm. everything just falls apart whenever she's around. Uh, right. Mr. Peanut Butter just being that happy-go-lucky guy that's like, look, the world isn't rainbows, but at the same time, if you try and view it as rainbows, you'll ever you'll get the glances of color every once in a while. He's my favorite character. Oh yeah. Cuz he, he's he's just he's just true to who he is, you mm-hmm. know? And it's not like he doesn't make mistakes either, but you know, he's true to who he is. He's like, "Look, I I know that the world isn't like you just said. I know the world isn't rainbows, but you know, uh if you try hey, and look, look at everything like a rainbow every once in a while, you'll see little shots of color all around." Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I love how when he gets excited, his ears go up and his tongue gets out. Yeah. He, he, you know, I, I, I like Mr. Peanut Butter, man. Mr. Oh, yeah. Peanut Butter is probably my favorite character. I remember in the season one, it's like, okay, he's kind of annoying whenever he pops up. But like by season two, I was like, right. I'm all in on Mr. Peanut Butter. What her percent? I'm right. loving it. <laughs> 
Right, because at first in the first season, I was like, okay, there's a dark side to this guy. He just acts happy all the time. But you're like, oh no, he's actually like a pretty optimistic yeah. dude. He's it's the other. Yeah, yeah, he's a regular guy that just looks at things optimistically. And I love. I'm trying to remember what season. It's either two or three that he actually like talks to Bojack. He's like, look, man, I get it. You don't like me, and right. you're kind of an asshole to me, like all of the time. But right. at the same time. I don't think that's the attitude that I should be giving off to you. So that's why I treat you so nice. Yeah. Yeah. How could you not like Mr. Peanut Butter? Oh, yeah. You know, he's just a great character. He's a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, yeah, dude, I, I'm in love with this show, dude. I'm And I'm on the last season. I just started it. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see where this all goes. I'm also a little in, uh, I'm also a little, uh, I don't want to say scared, but I'm a little anxious, man, because it's such a dark show. I'm, I'm a little wary of how it ends. Don't tell me. But, <laughs> I won't tell. Know. Oh, don't worry. I won't spoil it because, yeah, this this is one of those series that I remember when season four came out and it was like, OK, I got to binge through it because if I don't, it's going to get ruined for me. And inevitably, like I finished binging it and like two days later, you know, it, one of the headlines spoils the ending that was popping up on like social media everywhere. It's like, oh, thank God I made it through it before it was like, well, ending explained. This is it's like, God, it's, why? Why do you need to come out with that? Like two days after a show finally, you know, comes out when it's like a Netflix whole season dumping at once kind of situation. Mm hmm. Yeah, man. Um uh, what was I about to say? Yeah, dude. Uh, I gotta say, I, I mean, I'm just in this. Like, so, what's your favorite season? Like, because I'm still watching the last season, but I gotta say that uh, season I, season three and four were off the chain to me. Yeah. I, um, that that's a tough one. Uh, I think season three overall because that's where everybody starts getting like their place in the show. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you get to actually see like the differences of their characters, like actually start progressing and growing because season one, like you said, it's trying to figure out where it's going. Season two, it yeah. starts getting a better idea of it. And season three, I think, is where it like goes, OK, it, let's staple down the, the characters. This is the show. Right. Like, uh, oh, man. And like what I liked about season one was like when he met his when he met my man, um, the writer that he that started the show with him. And he has like cancer. He's oh, like, yeah. look, man, I just wanted to apologize to you because you know when you were outed and you were, um, you know, exiled in Hollywood. I, I, I just want to apologize. He says, I don't forgive you. Yeah. He says, but, I, but, but, but I, I said I'm sorry. He says, I don't, I don't accept it. Like I don't yeah. forgive you. That's such a hard episode to watch. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. because at the same time, it's one of those things where yes, BoJack was an asshole. And yeah. he deserves what he's getting, but it still hurts to see him get kicked when he's down. <laughs> right, right. And then, um, oh man, the t listen. This is why I love season three so much because, uh, like it seems like every like, I, I guess they call it penultimate episode, like the episode before the finale, some shit really goes down that oh, like yeah. changes the show forever. Uh, the scene, the the show, the episode where Sarah Lynn they go on that little binge, that little uh, oh yeah, drug binge. That's such a rough episode, man. Yeah, 
the fact that he's like enabling her on all of it too and it's just like oh, i yeah yeah it's a um it's a it's a terrific show man I, I i love it i'm so glad i finally found it and uh yeah i uh it, it made me feel it made me feel bad that uh it's my first time watching um it's my first time watching it straight through mm-hmm. but uh yeah I, i'm i'm glad that i'm experiencing it man i think more cartoons I can't even call this a cartoon, man. It's straight up a dramedy that just happens to be animated. See, that's the one thing is like a lot of people look at something anime and they go, oh, it's a cartoon. It's for kids. It, there's no way that it could have any oh, like this is, this heart or drama or anything like that. But yeah, there's yeah. so many great shows that are animated that do have these like intense themes to them. And a lot of those come out of Japan, actually, when it comes to like anime and everything. When it comes mm. to like taking it seriously and being like, oh, no, it's not just for kids. It's this is a medium that you can use to tell stories that you otherwise wouldn't be able to through live action for an adult audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, terrific show, man. I, I, I can't wait to see how it ends. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And, uh, you know, that's been another great episode of DFV. Uh, Y'all take care, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, See you later.